to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Welcome. It's the first edition of Breaking Bad News for 2021. I'm Jeff Hahn, your host, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jenny Gorsick. Hey, Jenny. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. So, you know, we're still inside of a pandemic, so you have to live and let live in these days. I think we're all just so darn happy to have 2020 behind us that, you know, it's something it's something happy and joyful. So let, let her have her Valentine's Day tree, Jeff. Yeah, um, Jenny, this will be fun for people to know. I took a picture of my feet back in 2020. Do you remember this picture? Do not your feet, not your not feet. feet. That would no. be weird. But um, I should have captioned this picture 2020. Is um, I had I've got this pair of all bird shoes. I've got two pairs. I really like these shoes, and it just so happens that I look down and I've got um, two different shoes on, two different styles of shoes on, and. It struck me that that's just sort of like, I should have captioned that picture to you as 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, are, there are a few things that sum up the year better than that. That was that was a pretty good one. Yeah. And I'm also really happy that you didn't send me a picture of your bare feet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We no worked together there. for a long time, but that would not be okay. <laughs> <laughs> the funny part about that, it was, do you remember what time I sent that to you in the day? Oh, like 530 <laughs> yeah, in the evening. That's when I first noticed. Yeah, the day was done and you just noticed it. Oh, that's too funny. Well, Jeff, I don't want to go too far into this very riveting conversation um, without introducing our very, very special guest today. I am so, so glad that we have Laura Dunn Nelson on with us. She is the Vice President of Food Safety and Global Alliances at Intertech Alchemy, which um, for those of you who don't know, is a global training and compliance solution provider that's based right here in Austin with us. So welcome, Laura. Very glad to have you. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jeff. Gosh, I've been looking forward to this for uh, a while now. We are too, and we are looking forward to picking Laura's brain about um, a little bit about of our, our recall of the month that we're going to talk about, but really just uh, food safety culture in general and all the very, very cool stuff that's happening at Intertech Alchemy, especially right now in the midst of this this COVID era. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit, but very excited to have Laura here. Yeah, we're pretty big fans of Laura and Intertech Alchemy. They're super smart at what they do. So everybody sign up, uh, give them all your business because you won't be disappointed. And we won't be disappointed either because we're going to have Laura talk a lot more about some of the things that are going on with her and Intertech Alchemy a little bit later on. But right now we're going to dive into a recall. And I got to say, Jenny, you know, it's been a pretty challenging start to the year. Um, There's a lot to choose from, unfortunately. So I was thinking, okay, you're always the one who has to guess what we're going to talk about. But um, I'm thinking a pet food recall was one of our recent episodes. Are we going to talk about sports mix today? Oh, good question. No, we are not going to talk about that. You're right. We have talked about um, pet food recalls recently yeah. on this show and um, the just the sheer market size of, of the pet food. Enormous. Industry. Yes. Enormous. enormous. It's gigantic. Yeah. Uh, and I have been following the situation with, with Sportmix and it's definitely sad for those dog and cat owners, but nope, not what we are going to discuss today. And typically, you know, we like to leave everybody in tons of anticipation you might call it agony with getting to it, it's intense they, they <laughs> yes and it's just uh when you listen to these you can't help but you're almost uh, uh, transfixed by the uh, in, yes. uh anticipation the the break usually before we announce what the recall is i just think 
is such a cliffhanger for people. But yeah. since we've got Laura here today and she is much smarter than, sorry, Jeff, both me and you, <laughs> then we want to we spend more time with her. So we're going to dive straight into our recall today. And uh, we're going to focus our recall of the month for this month on a cultural and food staple that many of us have in our kitchens, especially if we have teenagers or college students in, in the house. So does that when give we you a good clue? When we were broke and single, right? Mm-hmm. Ramen noodles has to be. That's a, that's a great <laughs> guess. Uh, definitely in line with that, uh, with that idea, but nope, it's not ramen. Today, our recall of the month is actually from our friends over at Nestle on Hot Pockets. You know the jingle? Hot Pockets. That's right. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. That was perfectly that on pitch. I love it. <laughs> that was sort of the Jim Gaffigan version of the pit, of the jingle. <laughs> oh, Jim Gaffigan loves Hot Pockets. Yeah, I did hear about the Hot Pockets uh, recall, and you can bet that I've had a few of them in my day, especially as a poor college student. Um, but before we jump down too far into what we like to do, of course, is analyze how the media treat this particular recall. Are you going to give us a little bit of background? Sure, I certainly can. The USDA's FSIS, the Food Safety and Inspection Service, announced that Nestle, their prepared foods division, had recalled more than 762,000 pounds of Hot Pockets. So we'll come back to that number later, 762,000, because we know media love gigantic numbers. numbers. That sure sounds like a big one. Uh huh. Um, after determining that they may have been contaminated with pieces of glass and or hard plastic. And they discovered this problem after four consumers reached out to Nestle that um, and told them that their Hot Pockets, their pepperoni Hot Pockets had non-edible substances. So no one was, um, you know, significantly hurt. I think one person had to have some minor oral care, but um, otherwise, thankfully, everybody's okay. Yeah. And pepperoni, I have to say, is my favorite Hot Pocket. I think it's everybody's uh, favorite hot, Hot Pocket. We've talked about it a lot, Jenny. There's, you know, in high volume production processes, um, it just takes one shaved off bolt in a piece of machinery or a bearing or a caster wheel. The, you know, unfortunately, it's not uncommon uh, in high volume production food processing. So it's just it's one of those things that we accept as a as a part of how we consume food these days. Still, good thing. Nestle found it, caught it, and uh, Food Safety Inspection Service was a part of that, right? Yep, yep. And um, of course, this was a class one recall where the health risk is considered high and there's a reasonable probability that using this product could cause serious adverse adverse health consequences or even death. Although um, certainly from the four people that um, you know, complained about this product. It doesn't feel like it's uh, widespread or death is imminent, but that's why we have these um, really important government agencies out there to keep us safe when there is an issue. And you're absolutely right. I think um, this is something that we see pretty regularly, some kind of, you know, foreign, foreign object or foreign matter um, issue, because you're right, it does. It just takes one piece of machinery um, you know, that's not totally up to standard where you've got, um, where you've got an issue. So, um, you know, it, it is, um, you know, class one recall is certainly never anything to take lightly. Um, especially when you've got consumers out there that have, you know, found the issue and, and, um, consume the product. So, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly, certainly a, a, a major issue to pay attention to. Well, what we talk a lot about in Breaking Bad News is not if a crisis occurs, it's when, and they do. And this is a good example of um, in this kind of uh, processing, in this kind of food production, um, it happens. And so the question is not um, can we prevent it, guarantee that it never happens. Instead, the question that we ask and answer in Breaking Bad News is how well did you manage it? 
Um, how well did you respond to the crisis? Did they follow the breaking bad news system? Do you think? You know, I think, um, yeah, to some extent, I think they did. They did a nice job. So, of course, in any class one recall, USDA or FDA is going to put out a, a release. Um, in this case, Nestle also um, put out a release as well. Um, but the thing I liked about their version of the release was it really clarified for people. This isn't on all hot pockets. It's not for everybody. It's on um, these specific flavors. Um, with these specific UPC codes, with these specific dates on it. So I think it helped to not minimize the issue, but help people clarify, you know, 762,000 pounds of something sounds gigantic in our food system. It's really not. Um, so I think they did a really nice job um, with that. I also think, you know, I mentioned earlier, Hot Pockets is kind of a, um, cult following brand. Jim Gaffigan loves it. People, people love it. And it's kind of a fun, almost funny brand. Like if you look at them on social and the way people talk about them, it's, it's very light and funny. Um, and I think having that brand built up when you have an issue, like a recall helps people, um, also take it with a little bit of levity as well. And they certainly did in, in this case. So um, yeah, I, I certainly think that they did a nice job responding to this one. Well, it reminds us that brands, even brands that don't take themselves seriously when they market, they still have to take food safety seriously. And that's um, one of the lessons that I, even large food manufacturers, especially large food manufacturers, um, in our experience, really are careful about. There's no, it's no laughing matter when it comes to food safety. Right on. I mean, we did a piece of research, if you remember, gosh, this was probably like eight years ago on consumer perceptions of food safety and how you get them back to oh, yeah. a brand after there's been an issue. And even way back then, there was a, a disconnect between consumers and understanding um, they were perceiving that fresh, organic, local indicated safer. Um, when in reality, it is those big food producers that have the resources to put into really top-notch food safety programs. And that's why we have such a safe food supply. Um, but consumers don't necessarily understand that. Um, so I think if there's one thing we could tell consumers, it's um, these bigger brands like Nestle invest tons of money into their food safety practices. Um, and this, this recall, you know, 762,000 pounds compared to the volume of food that they produce across the board is, is a needle in a haystack. Yeah. You know, who knows a lot about this stuff, Jenny? Who's that? We have a guest. We do. Laura Dunn Nelson knows a lot about this stuff. <laughs> do you think we ought to ask her opinion? Yeah, Laura, are we completely off base with what we've been talking about? No, y'all are spot on. You know, uh, I, uh, frankly, I, I'm i surprised we don't have more of these foreign material issues, uh, quite frankly. I was looking through the recall list when y'all sent your invite in my way, and there's for foreign material, there's just not that, that many uh, over the last several months. I was a little surprised at that because if you look at, you know, how we might have got here. So I always think about what do we, what do we need to prevent these? It's preventative maintenance. You know, it's having those, those uh, verifications on those gaskets you were talking about, Jeff, and the, the, the seals and the hoods and all of those protective things, having a preventative maintenance where you're checking those routinely. And then um, it's, the second thing would be that supply chain management. So as the incoming ingredients are coming in, making sure that the suppliers are doing what they need to do to keep uh, foreign material out. But when you look at um, this darn pandemic and I, it's it's this all consuming thing where um, instead of, you know, to keep product on our shelves, we've they've had to, um, you know, manufacturers and processors have really had to really um, go double time. And what we've seen is moving from, you know, eight hour shifts to 10 or 12 hour shifts or two shifts to three shifts um, and even 24 hours. So if you think about that, the original preventative maintenance was based on a certain schedule, certain hours of equipment use. 
Well, that was, you know, for many cases blown out the window. And so, uh, you know, it's just they're full steam ahead. And, you know, again, the, the whole supply chain is your, you know, some ingredients, plants were down. You couldn't get um, product from certain ones. You had to go and try to get some new products from a brand new vendor. You weren't, you know, you're not able to go on on site to do those audits and do some due diligence. So you're having to rely on some other other things. And so, um, I mean, frankly, I like I said, I'm surprised that there's just not more of these. Yeah, you know, Laura, you tell um, a great story about the resilience of the system in the midst of a, well, it's been a world upending situation. You know what? We ought to take a quick break because you've opened up the a door in the conversation that I really want us to dive down into. So why don't we pause just for a few moments? We'll hear from our sponsor and we'll come right back. This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Hey, all you Breaking Bad News fans, welcome back. This is Recall of the Month, January 2021. I'm Jeff Hahn, and you may have noticed I actually used Breaking Bad News fans, the plural form. Jenny, did you hear me say that? Wow, I, I did, but I was so astonished that we're in plural form now. Yeah, uh, there is, there's more than one fan. And we actually have one of the one of the two here with us today. Yes. Hi. <laughs> we're so happy she's here. We, she got a free appearance on Breaking Bad News for buying the book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, Laura Dunn Nelson is our guest here. Hey, Jenny, um, why don't you brag on Laura just for a minute? She's it's not that she's with Intertech Alchemy. That's cool enough, but there's more to her. Yeah, absolutely. And Laura, uh, I hope you don't mind, but yes, I am going to brag on you for a minute. And we are so lucky to, to have you on today. Um, Laura's experience in the world of food safety really and truly is unparalleled. And I know um, even from our conversation before the break, she's got so much to, to bring to the discussion today. Um, Laura has more than 30 years of experience, of experience, excuse me, implementing food safety and quality control programs, um, advancing food safety cultures for processing, packaging, food service, and retail operations. She is a graduate of the University of Texas. Woohoo, hook them horn. That's right. Uh, with a BS in microbiology, and she's worked with some of the largest retailers and manufacturers um, in the world in implementation of their GFSI uh, certification program. So um, she's got years of experience in testing food products for the presence of pathogens, toxins, spoilage organisms. Um, she's helped food companies with their uh, GMPs, QA programs, hazard analysis programs, all of that. Um, she's the vice chair of the Food Safety Culture Professional Development Group at IAFP. It, the resume goes oh, on and on. It is so, so, so impressive. <laughs> Don't so fall here. asleep, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you for this uh, coming and listening to this episode. We're all out of time. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> No, no, I mean, it is fantastic to have you, Laura. And we've been talking a little bit about Hot Pockets. Um, we understand that recall situation, but let's back up a little bit more and, and uh, focus on the bigger picture that you started to chat about with us before the break, the, the world in pandemic and the food system in, in pandemic. Where, from your experience, just in the context of the last year, how do you see the food system? Maybe it's the resiliency, but how, how has the recall process been impacted by all the things that you've seen inside of COVID-19? Yeah, it's, um, so uh, first of all, I'd just like to say, I, you know, having worked with the, in the food industry for the food industry for those 30, 30 plus years, uh, <laughs> 
they, you know, I don't, it, everybody always uses the word unprecedented, but it has been unprecedented, the amount of challenges that these companies have faced. And, and when I look at it, you know, of course, within Intertech Alchemy, we're focused on that frontline group and that frontline workforce and those essential workers. If you think about the pressure that they had to, um, you know, on them to come in and do the job they do. Uh, every day, probably in a, a lot more, you know, time and, and effort. Like we said, we we needed more. We're not eating at restaurants uh, now. Um, and so we, we needed products, you know, in our supermarkets. And so it just had put a big strain. If you think about that and you think about um, what what the response was from the food industry to the pandemic. So you know, we, we have food safety programs and we have environmental health and safety, work, you know, employee safety, and we're chugging along with those programs. And then all of a sudden now we've got to deal with the pandemic. And so the, what got layered on top of that was an infectious disease program. So, and, and by the way, it was, there was no templates out there to do that. So all of a sudden um, companies had to really find a way to, uh, keep their employees safe. That was that's number one for these companies uh, to um, be able to to and, and that had a lot to do with having the right PPE, having the right uh, getting access to chemicals um, and the mask and all of those things that you know from a period of time there it was getting totally redirected to hospitals and our healthcare workers. And so there was that tension. And then, you know, as people were getting sick, we had suppliers that, you know, were having to close down. And so that that whole thing was going on. So it it put pressure on the industry in a way that they've they've never had. And have being as close as I am to them, I, I am just super proud to to share with you just the uh just a tremendous response, the resources that were put immediately into place, team building within each organization, because this would involve HR, it would involve all kinds of operations, all kinds of people changing um, sick leave policies, uh, maintenance building partitions, you know, where where they didn't reorging the, the lunch rooms and the entryways. I mean, it, it, it's been incredible. But, you know, and I, I think, given all of that, you know, we didn't hear, you know, there was, there, there obviously continued to be recalls, but if you look at our data, we saw training drop a little bit in um, March, excuse me, April and May, but then it came back um, to to unprecedented levels. So, so there was a little bit of a a, a kind of a a set to uh, focus on the, on the pandemic responses, but then I think there was this evened out um, on um, returning to a more new normal of, okay, that's infectious disease control is just one thing and food safety and, and, in, and keeping our employees safe is, is, has to be part and parcel. That's yeah, really interesting, Laura. And what, um, what I think I'm hearing you say is that this new layer, infectious disease control layer, it's not going to be um, something that just goes away. Now, do you feel like it's a permanent part of the how we address food safety? That Jeff, you might have just asked the million dollar question there. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it in the form of twenty dollar bills. There you go. Well, uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, what is that uh, status quo? And and it's really, you know, uh, there's a lot of, that will go into that. One is the vaccine and the, and the ability to to get those vaccines out. We have many many industry, food industry companies raising their hands, saying, "Let us be a site where we can, you know, um, deliver those vaccines because we want to support our employees, but we want to support our communities." And so. You know, I think you're seeing that more and more. In fact, I was on a call with uh, a webinar um, with FDA and CDC, and and you know, the rate the industry is really raising their hand uh, again to support this effort. But you don't know, you know, 
to the extent, are they going to require uh, vaccines for all employees? There's some that employees that will just elect not to for very valid reasons. Um, and um, and I think that, that that balance will be something that, that uh, people will have to kind of manage. Um, and then not only what are they doing under their organization, but what's going on in the community, right? And so what are the opportunities? You know, we talk about the herd uh, immunity and when are we gonna achieve that? It keeps getting pushed, you know, some of the predictions further, further in the year, uh, hopefully still this year, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an unknown. A lot of the, the protocols and procedures, I think some people are thinking those might just stick with them for a while. You know, maybe in the conference rooms and the lunch rooms, you'll, you'll be able to sit closer to, to some of your colleagues. Um, maybe the, the staggered shifts might change up a little bit and certainly being able to um, get into your smocks and those kind of things. We might go back to a little bit more regular, but I think some of the things might, might stay. Yeah, pretty interesting. Jenny, were you going to ask a question about food safety culture and food safety culture strategies? I was. I was actually first going to ask about what, what else you see happening in 2021, but it sounds like, Laura, it's going to be largely, at least for the rest of this year, very similar to, to what we've seen. I do think, Jeff, the word you used earlier is, is pretty incredible um, how resilient the food mm. industry is. I mean, what a showing of nothing short of, of resiliency. I mean, I think if, if we can survive a pandemic of this magnitude that has so impacted the food supply, then um, there's, there's a lot we can do. So yeah, uh, you know, and the toilet paper industry could learn, take a lesson, couldn't they? That's right. That's absolutely <laughs> right. That's absolutely right. We're going to have them on next month, but um, <laughs> no, I do, I do think um, it's, it's important to note, and I would love to hear Laura, what you're hearing about this, because um, the dip in food safety in uh, training investment in April and May is um, I think very explainable people just didn't have the resources to put to it. Right. But I think that what's more interesting is the surge that you saw in, later in the summer. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that? And are there, um, is it the companies that already had strong food safety cultures that are doubling down? Is it, um, is it companies that maybe weren't as focused on food safety now that because of the pandemic, they are really investing in that? What are you seeing from that standpoint? Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things, so I, I, I could say that, you know, as far as food safety and uh, workplace safety, I, um, you know, there, it's been pretty consistent. I think one of the really interesting things is I think companies have, have looked at what they needed to do in this infectious disease control plan that they put in place. What did they do that then they can pull from um, as it relates to improving their own food safety programs or their food safety training and their workplace safety training. If you think about having to align behaviors around this whole new concept of this is how you put on a mask, this is where you wear it, this is how you dispose of it, uh, six feet distancing, and here's what you need to do and how you need to do it, cleaning your own partitioned, you know, sanitizing and what that looks like. Um, a lot of them used some really interesting things, including training um, out at Intertech Alchemy. We put out, uh, we were one of the first to the market of putting out some of those training, like mask wearing and, and um, distance wearing separation, uh, free to the industry at large. Um, and we had a huge, huge uptick. I'm, I'm happy to say that it seems like there was value in that. But um, so in addition to that kind of immediate training and very focused in, uh, on the task of what that is and sharing the why of why we're doing this, I think was really important. And it, it didn't take much for people to understand, you know, once they had a family member get sick, how important this was. But they used things like signage. And Jenny, I think, and Jeff, I, one of the things that fascinates me is, you know, this just in trying to change those behaviors, you started seeing signage. We all saw it in the retail stores, right? Where we could stand 
and we saw different signage on the on the on the doors as we came in. You, this you know has to wear a mask, but bringing all of that together as, as a you know to train people on these really new behaviors and to get alignment really quick has allowed, I think, companies to say, oh, wow, so classroom training in and of itself for food safety may not be the end all. In fact, we probably need to have some awareness materials, some communications that reinforce that over and over again. And I, and, and I, you know, I see companies really starting to recognize. We offer, for example, um, posters uh, that can remind people of different things and digital signage that reminds people. And I think people are starting to embrace that and saying, yeah, I can, we can definitely see the value of that because if we don't, um, it's what I call rolling thunder. You know, if you're not reminding people over and over again, then sometimes something else will take precedence. Whatever else, you know, is it operations? Is that what's dominating the messaging that's going on versus those things like the all important food safety? And I think when you when you when you get that tipping point, that's when you start having people focused on food safety and less recalls. Yeah, it's a really good point that um, I'm thinking about my own behaviors and just going, for example, to the supermarket, um, how the floor placement signage that keeps me in the proper orientation vis-a-vis -vis the person next to me, um, you just, your mind wanders, you get off into a different kind of universe in your own brain and you need the, those, that continual reinforcement uh, to pop you back into the moment so that you're behaving properly. And that's the really interesting part of what I, I see coming in this new layer of food safety is the, the behavioral change, the behavioral um, insistence almost that's required in order to navigate, not just uh, the normal times, but this new time. It's all about continuous uh, behavioral modification, so to speak. Absolutely. And changing behaviors is a whole lot harder than uh, just those two little words suggest. I mean, uh, it, it really takes, at least from my view, a lot of discipline. And to your point, Laura, just very, very, very consistent reinforcement to um, normalize that new behavior. Um, and even if you think about it in our personal lives, just the idea of wearing masks was so foreign back in March. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, um, you know, we're in, we're in Austin and the mayor of Austin was, uh, doing these tutorial videos on how to take old t-shirts and cut them up and make them into a mask. Mm -hmm. You know, now every retailer out there makes their own line of masks and it's a normalized uh, in many regards, a normalized behavior. Um, yeah. But it took time and a lot of reinforcement and, and all of that. And it's still not, you know, uh, widely, totally accepted practice. So um, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you, how do you teach that in a, to your point, you're working with frontline employees where you've got um, a lot of turnover. It's hard to reach them. I mean, they're not in front of a computer reading email. Um, so how, how do you do that how, for workplace safety, food safety, any of that? Um, how do you make that successful? Yeah. So I do want to make a point that, um, you know, for food safety culture, learning and people are just one um, dimension of food safety culture. So um, there, there's, you know, consistency, adaptability, hazards and risk awareness, mission and, you know, uh, so there's a, there's other things that have uh, kind of speak to and define food safety culture. But the people side is definitely, as you know, Jenny and Jeff, my, uh, uh, my um, passion. And, and it's tough, right? So there's a number of things. First of all, you have to have a strong learning organization. And a strong learning organization is going to be a, a company, a, a group that is going to be attuned to their uh, learners. And that means what level of, of education do they have? What, um, what is their preferred way of learning? So are they kinesthetic? Are they auditory? Um, are they, uh, you know, um, 
Is is there uh, when do we give the course or training? Are we going to do that in a blended learning setting, or is it going to be just classroom only? And how effective is that? By the way, however you give it, are you measuring the effectiveness of that training? And that's a key, key element. I see both of you uh, nodding. It's absolutely imperative that whatever you do, that you're measuring that success. You know, QA folks uh, and I, you know, food safety uh, folks, we, we have a tendency just to put everything we want down in training, all everything we need. And it's usually in a very technical way. And sometimes that just doesn't resonate. In fact, most of the time it doesn't resonate. So you really need to look at, how, you know, the, the content and the messaging to see if it's effective or have you lost, you know, that effectiveness and that comprehension somewhere. And then, as I always say, it's not just the learning and the knowledge transfer, it's that comprehension. And for that comprehension, you both talked about the behaviors. That's where you take, you leave the classroom and you have a supervisor going out and saying, okay, Jenny, you just got trained on, on hand washing. Let me wash, watch you wash your hands using the five steps. And then that feedback, that one-on-one -on -one feedback, okay, you did four steps correctly, way to go. And so you, you know, acknowledge that, you recognize those behaviors, but here you need a tweak here. Let me show you how it's done. And now can you do it? So it's that that uh, verification of behaviors and that one-on-one that is so important. And it doesn't, you know, it's an it's a ongoing, ongoing thing. And then like Jeff, you mentioned, um, having those reminders right there is really important beyond that one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, having a recognition program for the people, give those attaboys and girls when they're doing things right. Um, having a consequences, for people who are not doing things correctly. That's key too. And that's a toughie. That's a toughie for the food industry. Y'all both know that it's, it's, it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to get employees in this field and to keep them. Turnovers is really high uh, in, in some cases. And so, um, man, it's tough because you're like, well, I don't want to fire him because, you know, are we going to be able to get anybody else? And, and so you sort of can make do with some, some non-compliant behaviors. And so you've got to have a, a really good way to deal with that. Yeah. One of the toughest challenges I think is uh, for any producer processor is to always balancing that human capital need against the needs of the marketplace and the responsibility you have to mm. safety and, um, all the products that are created, boy, it's like this, there's a tension in just about everything that you do. Maybe um, easier to think about it, nicer to think about it as keeping a balance. But um, those are pretty strenuous requirements, no matter which side you come in and balance out. <laughs> so I'm thinking yeah, about all that. And it's even more remarkable that we've had such a resilient system through the pandemic, given all the variables in, involved. Absolutely. Well, gold star food safety people, nicely done. Yes, they're those essential workers, uh, food workers are are my heroes for sure. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Jenny. I was going to say, Laura, you mentioned um, making things measurable, and yes, you saw Jeff and I nodding because everything that we do has to be measurable and we're, you know, we're really big on counseling our clients on making decisions based on, on data and, and research. And I love the research that you guys have done at Entertech Alchemy um, on the global food safety training survey. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that and what you learned from that report? Oh yeah. You have sure. a, it's, a new th it's a new thing, right? It is a new thing. Yeah. We, yeah. Um, yeah, we, um, so we do that in partnership with Camden and BRI, and um, we've done that now, I think we're six years. Um, and uh, I think we had this, this year we had 14, over 1400 respondents globally. So we were quite proud of the, the, the feedback we got and we appreciate, appreciated the industry spending the time, but really it's, it's meant to be sort of a benchmark of, of, um, you know, answering these questions so that when you take a look at it as a company, you can say, oh, I, I fall in the lower or the higher or I'm out, out of, you know, uh, range here. 
And uh, we had some really interesting results. I think one of the things we had was um, about 74% of the industry said, you know, we have a clear vision to uh, food safety, uh, food safety improvements. We, we, we have... Um, we have a clear vision and a clear path to that. And I think that that says a lot. 55% um, of the respondents uh, said that they felt like they were industry leaders in food safety and food safety training. And so I think that was very telling, uh, very um, motivating as far as their focus on food safety. One of the things, uh, you know, you always have the good news and the bad news or less, less desirable news. So almost by percent, we still had 67% of the respondents respond saying that despite our best training, we still have employees not following the right behaviors. And, and as I said, this has been a trend over the last six years, very consistently. And it's almost as if we're just a little bit throwing up our hands and going, you know, we're just going to have some rogue players out there, right? Um, some people that just don't seem to want to follow. So we talked about the turnover. And I, uh, Jeff, you had some good points on the, the balance that you have to keep. You have to keep things operating and you have to have, you know, employees to do that. But, um, you know, how do you how do you put corrective actions and, and um, consequences for not following the right behaviors? And for me, the most critical thing about that is, what about those behaviors you don't know that they didn't follow, right? That nobody was around, and they have that that big choice to make. Um, their glove, plastic glove, gets shredded and it gets in the the batching machine. Um, do they have the courage to raise their hand and say, sorry, I just made a big mistake. Um, you know, we got my glove in there or do they just kind of walk away? And, um, and it's those kind of things when nobody's looking and that's a definition of food safety um, culture, right? It's, it's what happens um, when nobody's looking. It, what is that culture? And if you can reward the the behaviors, the good behaviors, that's, that's critical. Uh, so I, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, a challenge for the, uh, for the industry. And I think y'all, y'all brought up the data, which I think is so interesting. And the data, uh, you know, when you look at the low maturity of a company, food safety culture, it's those people that are kind of firefighting and scrapping about and they're in doubt. They don't have clear training. They're certainly not using data. They're not using technology. They're, um, you know, perhaps only just doing what regulated things need to happen. In contrast, if you look at those that are internalized, high maturity uh, food safety uh, cultures, those people are not siloed. They're uh, team oriented. They have, they're using data. They're doing horizon scanning and continuous improvement and and um, all kinds of things. So it, so the, the contrast is, is pretty clear and it's really, I think it's gonna be challenging, um, but critical that people take wherever they are in the, in the maturity um, window and look at what are those gaps in, the, in that specific aspect against the, the five def, uh, dimensions of food safety culture and then try to address those, so try to move them more into a more mature um, region, so. Yeah, lots of challenges there. I, I would say as a the PR person uh, coming on, it, they're not challenges, they're opportunities. There you go. There you go. That's why you're there, Jenny. That's the BS right there, Jenny. But, yes, uh, indeed. No, I think I, that's so interesting. And I, you know, one of the things we often hear from um, smaller startup food brands that, um, you know, in that life cycle, you're absolutely right. They're scrappy. They don't have a ton of resources. They probably aren't investing a lot in a food safety culture. Um, those are the food brands that need the most help, whether it's taking their product to market or implementing a really solid food safety culture. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to those, you know, smaller startup brands that don't have a lot of resources to put into food safety, but know that it's important 
what, what's your advice for them? Yeah. You know, whether they're small, new innovators, new, new uh, startups, or even the very large, my, my first advice to any of them is to assess your organization, determine where you are in that maturity continuum, figure out in, as far as food safety culture, where are your strong points? Is your people dimension super strong? And maybe you need to work on your mission and and from a corporate level, um, uh, maybe that's where you, or you need to be more consistent. You have some inconsistencies and and maybe work on that. So you really need to have assessments and the assessments, there's there's all kinds of people out there doing assessments now. We have our own uh, team, uh, consulting team that can offer assessments, but, I was part of the GFSI uh, Food Safety Culture Working Group who did the white paper on food safety culture. And and there's all kinds of questions built into that white paper that you could take that and just create your own assessment um, and, and bump that up against um, the data held in that, in that GFSI white paper. So that's the place to start because it, you're just sort of in the dark if you're trying to make a change. And, and two, I think there's some, some experts out there that can help. Uh, if once you have your data, once your assessment's been done, um, then that's, you know, figure out some programs that you can put into place. And I think starting small and simple, you know, the last thing you want is to introduce like the flavor of the month program that you can't sustain and maintain. Mm-hmm. It's not to say you can't stop it if it's not effectively achieving your goals, but, you know, you need to be able to see it through and, and make an assessment. Is this working for us here? Are we moving the dial? So, um, yeah, I'd start with assessments for sure. That's that's great advice. I think, you know, so many <clears throat> on the smaller side feel some uh, kind of paralysis because the yeah. world can be so overwhelming and costly and, and all of that, but it really doesn't have to be. I think that's really good advice. Start small, start simple. Um, and there's already some great tools out there. So that's wonderful advice. Thank you. Yeah. And wonderful experts like Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm passionate about it. I'll tell you what I, um, yeah. And I will tell, tell everybody that um, I'm also on um, a steering committee for past 320 and it's a publicly available specification for food safety culture. And it's a global steering group that were pulled together to create the how to Right. So the the white paper, GFSI white paper was a what uh, in a lot of ways, but this is going to be a real how to. And um, that work is ongoing. We've met several times, but um, I'm hopeful that that document will come out. It'll be publicly available as it states um, and that it'll be distributed and available out towards the end of this year. So I I think that that document will help. Um, I will say that most of the schemes, um, because GFSI has added food safety culture in their benchmarking uh, document, schemes like SQF and, and uh, uh, IFS, et cetera, they've all added food safety culture questions into their audit. And um, I think what we're going to see is largely at the, uh, during the summer, those, those new uh, ad, um, requirements will be kicking in. So even though you're a little hesitant out there and you may not know how to get started, you really do need to get started. You know, you need to start moving forward. If you don't have the resources in place, um, search out some, some of those consultants that you can use because um, you, you'll, you'll be faced with some of those expectations uh, shortly this year. Yeah, for sure, Laura. And um, if someone wanted to search you out, how would they find you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Laura.Nelson at alchemysystems.com. Okay. So email is your preferred, huh? Yes. Happy to uh, reach out. And and, um, we have a a full team. We have an amazing consulting team that has, uh, I don't know, 200, 300 plus years total experience. Um, A a lot of them from plant experience themselves. And so uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to help. Uh, we also know uh, industry colleagues that are experts in this field and happy to point the uh, people in that direction too. Yeah. And you can also go to the Intertech Alchemy website, I reckon. Absolutely. 
That's a good question. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's just been a fascinating talk and I think so encouraging in a lot of respects. The um, resiliency of the food system is something that I think we can all be proud of. And to a great extent, it's due to the experts like you, Laura, who are helping the front line do their work every day, day in, day out. And, you know, even time, even when there's, you know, times when there's a foreign object contamination like hot pockets. So we can still be pretty well assured that we're operating in a really good sound food system, can't we? Absolutely. And I, I can guarantee you that the root cause analysis was, was instigated, you know, ASAP and, um, and, and they've identified the, the, the challenges and they've already got some uh, corrective actions applied. I mean, that's, that's how that works. And, um, you know, I, uh, I think the good news is as people learn from those things, then, you know, they, they, um, get a little bit more bulletproof. A little better every day. Like Jenny, Mm -hmm. she gets better every day. (laughs) So nice of you. Yeah. Well, it's been a fun talk, hasn't it? Yeah, this has been good. It has. I, I'm already looking forward to my next one with y'all. So uh, thank you so much. I'm honored to be on and so appreciate the opportunity to talk with y'all. It's been great, Laura. Jenny, thank you so much. Good call on inviting Laura. I wasn't so sure, but she paid <laughs> off. Oh, that's not- a risk. <laughs> Laura, please come back anytime. We love having you. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I will be listening to the next one. So uh, hopefully you'll tee somebody up great. and. Um, Y'all take care. Thanks, Thanks, Laura, so much. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Breaking Bad News Recall of the Month. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. It really helps. (laughs) 